Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. This is a podcast from Minute Media. It's been a quarter century since the Seinfeld finale aired on NBC. The show ostensibly about nothing left is something very important. Its legacy has endured through two decades, even as the source material ages, and the pace feels slow compared to this era's machine gun fire joke making. Countless words by better writers than myself have already been spilled explaining why this is one of the greatest comedies of all time. But one thing that's been striking in reruns, which always hit the spot, is the incredibly deep cast of role players the series was able to trot out there. Screen time, entertainment value, cultural currency, and good old-fashioned gut feeling helped form this list of 64 memorable characters. Surely, there will be no disagreement about the 64 best Seinfeld characters. Number 64, Matthew learns to swear Destroys a cassette tape. Just a complete hellraiser. 63. Marcy. Inventor of the yada yada. Revolutionary and efficient storyteller. 62. Ping. Hardworking yet somewhat litigious delivery driver. 61. Stan the caddy. A wise fount of guidance. Off the course or on it. 60. Ruthie Cohen. Made monks feel like home. Always behind the register. 59. Mr. Morgan, ate his Snickers with a knife and fork, all class. 58, Katie, agent from hell who hit her breaking point. 57, Laura, a classic BL, though not the best lip reader. 56, Rebecca De Mornay, believe the homeless deserve better than topless muffins. 55, Sid Fields, an old man who told it like it was and hated stealing. 54, the Drake, we loved him, we hated him. A polarizing force. 53. Marla Penny. Made the right choice in preserving her virginity to JFK Jr. 52. Jeannie Steinman. Came the closest to ending Jerry's bachelor lifestyle, but was just too similar. 51. Naked man on the subway. A forerunner of the body positive movement. 50. Jean-Paul Jean-Paul. A world-class athlete done in by technology and others incompetence. 49. Kevin. The bizarro Jerry. Loved a good book, but a bit boring. 48, Tony. If you don't think he was pure electricity, you need to step off. 47, Bette Midler. Would have benefited greatly from Major League Baseball's safety-conscious home plate rule change. 46, the Chinese restaurant Maitre d' wanted Seinfeld himself fourth on this list. 45, Izzy Mandelbaum. One tough son of a bitch, always willing to prove it. 44, Alton Bennis. A challenging and important author. A terrible dinner companion. 43, the Jimmy. Sneaky athleticism, but had a problem staying healthy. 42, Cousin Jeffrey. Deep and textured character, even without appearing on screen. 41, Poppy. Culinary expert who probably should sit on a wicker chair from now on. 40, the Rabbi. Loose-lipped man of God and an inspiring matchmaker. 39, the Mole. Not the man you want for that particular job. 38, the Bubble Boy. 
Tom Rinaldi interview target, an ultra competitive game player. 37, Jack Klompas, take the pen. 36, Russell Dalrymple, NBC bigwig and father of a daughter. 35, Mabel Choate, crime victim and marble rye connoisseur. 34, Justin Pitt, a man who appreciated jazz music, nice socks, and other fine things. 33, Jake Jarmel, punctuation knower who would hate this sentence. 32, Lloyd Braun, my dude could accomplish anything he set his mind to. Vintage hot dog consumer. 31, Dolores, you've probably forgotten her real name. 30, Bob Cobb, renaissance man capable of conducting an orchestra, hustling a pool hall, and finding you places to rent in Tuscany. 29, Mr. Lippman, wasn't above stealing a muffin-based business idea, but drew the line at having sex with the cleaning staff in his office. 28, Mrs. Ross, this may be out of line, but it seemed like she liked to drink. 27, Sidra Holland, again, another classic case of upgrading, ditching superficial Jerry for Salman Rushdie. 26, Mr. Kruger, an absolute clown of a boss, should probably get that mold checked out. 25, Matt Wilhelm, gave his employees a sense of purpose by trusting them with a big project, ultimately succumbed to the lure of a cult. 24, Lieutenant Joe Bookman. The man was passionate about books and the ability for youth to read them without their minds being warped. 23, Joe Davola, a violent Pagliacci who had no business roaming the streets, let alone dating Elaine. 22, Susan Ross. Jokes aside, this is one of the most stunning casting mistakes in television history. If you haven't read up on how poorly things went, please do. Shocking stuff. 21, Mickey Abbott, pound for pound the greatest actor of his generation. 20, Jackie Stiles. Damn impressive that Stephen A. Smith has basically ridden this playbook to the top of the media summit. 19, Kenny Banya. Whenever he was on, he killed. Killed. Visionary for free food grifters everywhere. 18, Helen Seinfeld. In retrospect, kind of sad she never saw her boy settle down with a nice girl. Was it just too much to ask? 17, Babu Bhatt. Guess one would have to call what happened to him the American nightmare. But hey, he got his vengeance. 16, Keith Hernandez. Name one other person on this list who was on game six. Wouldn't mind helping this guy move some furniture or cart him out to LaGuardia, whatever he needs. 15, Sue Ellen Mischke, fashion icon who made the bra standalone garment, Elaine's best friend, and woo boy, is that sad. 14, Bob Sacamano slash Lomez, any friend of Kramer's is a friend of ours. 13, the soup Nazi, very particular about the things he loves. All geniuses are. 12, Morty Seinfeld, knew how to move raincoats, attacked the day by waking up before dawn, never ever let anyone get over on him, alleged number one dad. 11, Uncle Leo, did some time in his youth for a crime of passion and sadly reverted back to his bad boy ways later in life. Immensely proud father of a Parks Department employee. Hello. 10, Jay Peterman, sartorial tycoon and citizen of the world. Immensely wealthy, but not above clipping coupons. Devoted son, rare birthday cake collector. Quite possibly the most interesting man in the world before that became a thing. 9, David Putty, burly athletic type willing to do whatever it takes to support his beloved New Jersey Devils. Christian Rock listener, rebound guy. Hell of a used car salesman. Yeah, that's right. Eight, Estelle Costanza, Glamour Magazine subscriber who could recognize a stop short when she sees one. Has a heck of a paella recipe. Would prefer you don't have your friends over when she's out of town. Seven, Tim Watley, definitely Brian Cranston's most memorable role. Six, Frank Costanza, TV guide zealot with a keen sense of vintage fashion, Festivus creator, passed down his rageaholic gene to his son. Serenity now, a cautionary tale. Five, Newman, perhaps the smartest person on the show, limited by his own laziness and corner cutting, architect of the bottle deposit scheme, Jerry's capable and worthy foil. And now a brief word about the ranking of the show's four primaries. This is like choosing between one's own children. 
The honest and real answer here is that they don't function without each other. So with great trepidation, number four, Jerry. Seinfeld, the writer, gave his best material to the other actors. This was one of the most brilliant things he could do. Three, Kramer. Far and away the funniest, but lacking in the depth of the other three. Two, Elaine. America as a whole didn't realize that Julia Louis-Dreyfus was the funniest actor in the foursome in real time. History has cleared that up quite nicely. And number one, George. He was a neurotic loser, had no moral compass, was a chronic liar, the anti-hero. And yet, you loved watching him operate. To see the levers and layers of his awfulness was to see a master at work. Welcome to the Kyle Coster Show, presented by The Big Lead. It is that time of week. We are talking International Baseball League of West Michigan, week six. This is your update. This is the wrap-up show. This is the only place on the internet you can find this content. So please like, please subscribe, please let me grow this niche audience. And my guest today is Jeremy Stokes, back after a couple weeks off, I rotated some guests in. You could tell he was hurt, and he responded <laughs> by getting what was ultimately the game-winning RBI in the Cubs' 6-2 to victory over the Tigers on Sunday. I want to start right there. We're tied 2-2 in the top of the seventh, and you step to the plate, and you drive one to the base of the wall in right field. How did that feel? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, it was the, I was, I was looking back through some at bat logs and it's the first fastball in I'd seen all year. So, you know, as a left-handed hitter, you're kind of like, well, good. <laughs> I got the fastball in that I'm looking for and I hit it. So that was good. And, uh, not to be overshadowed is my horrible base running error immediately following said double, um, you know. I, I think that for me, that play, that like sequence was like, oh, I definitely belong on this team because this is what we do, right? We, we, uh, we get on base, we knock the ball around, and then we run into outs for no reason whatsoever. Yeah, you weren't alone having adventures on the base pass. And I think no. that is the headline from our game. We know that the Tigers are historically a weaker team. We go into that game thinking, okay, well, maybe I'm going to throw three innings. Maybe we're going to get flicky three innings. And if there's any leftover before the mercy, we're going to get some other people some work on the mound. I had a right. place, to, I had places to go. I thought I was going to be out of there by about 2.30, hour and 15 minutes into game time. That's not what happened. As the Tigers threw a pitcher out there who was pretty good, shut us down. It was a nail biter. I needed my best performance of the season. And I would say this was the best performance of my season. I had 10 strikeouts through six innings. My stuff was really good, did not allow an earned run. And yet, like I said, it was two to two in the seventh inning. So on one hand, I'm really happy that we played a competitive game, that we found a way to win. But I can't sit here this morning and say anything but I don't think that we're a championship team as constructed right now. And as we're playing right now, 
when you look at the league, if we don't play our best game, we're going to lose. And we have not played our best game yet through six contests. So I wanted to get your temperature on if you agree with that assessment. I don't want to say that all is lost because I think that we have the pitching ability to shut people down come the postseason. But right now, as we are more than a third of the way through the season and we're still trying to find our bearings, what do you have us on your DEFCON meter? Yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, I, I'm not uh, freaking out. The alarm isn't, you know, it's not a three alarm fire, but the build, there's smoke. Um, it, I, I think the thing that surprises me more than anything, just having played against you guys for the last few years, is there's a, we've made a lot of errors, a lot of errors that really, they're, they're fundamental decision-making errors, not necessarily physical errors. Um, and that just surprises me. I, I, I don't think that that's going to continue. I think that everybody on that team uh, knows what they're supposed to be doing. I don't think it's this huge, uh, you know, just like a, I don't know. There are other teams in the league where you can just say, Hey, this is a lack of experience thing. You know, they, they don't actually know better than to do that thing. They're just, you know, going hard and running into stuff. We're making, you know, we're making mental errors that are surprising to me. And I think that will settle down. I think part of that is a little bit of that expectation to win every week. And certainly this week came out a little flat, right? Just expecting having seen scores of what other teams have done against that team, you go, well, I think we're going to be fine here. And then, you know, pitchers throwing strikes. The strike zone was, was generous on Sunday. And I think that tends to keep the score down. Um, I felt like there were a number of calls that were certainly further up than normal. And there was definitely plenty of room at the bottom of the zone, as there always is. So that didn't feel that didn't feel that different, but I did feel like there were that 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 made a big difference in terms of of the score, um, you know. Because then you see, you know, you had ten strikeouts, but then Flicky comes in and strikes out the last nine guys of the game to end the game, and you know, it, I think that's just that's the kind of it, we were expecting it to be a much more high scoring game on our end. You know, we had more guys strike out and a lot more. Uh, you know, short at bats. I mean, that game was a short game too. We were done at what, two and a half hours, which is pretty much unheard of. I think that played a lot into it, but yeah, I, I think there's, there's reason for concern around the, can we show up with our heads on straight kind of thing? Yeah. And I think that if the base running gets cleaned up, I think we probably left four or five runs yeah. out of bases, which is an astronomical number. Um, yeah. The defense wasn't that bad. And as you sit here at the end of the day, yeah, there were some key errors, but they only resulted in three runs, but that's only because collectively that's probably the best pitching effort we're going to get all season. I mean, 19 strikeouts in a game is complete shutdown. And I do think that there's the opportunity to do that in the playoffs, maybe not 19, but I'm confident in our ability to put together between Christian and I, outings that give us a chance to win if we hit the ball maybe the other bright side here too is I came home and I was thinking about the Tigers and how they have one win on the season and how on the heels of the Pirates game which was also a tougher battle than we were expecting 
you know, maybe it's just time to admit, and maybe we need to adjust to the reality that it's not really a Cubs problem per se, and maybe it's not a problem at all, but it's just an example of the league getting better. And I think that's definitely true. Look at, look at the scores. I mean, it, I mean, Pirates hung 17 yesterday or on Sunday. Um, the Marlins got beat by the Padres, who no, still nobody knows anything about, right? It's like uh, there, uh, there's some parity, and I think that's kind of uh, – I, I mean, I think that's what you're talking about, right? It's just there, there's, a, there's a league-wide positive development insofar as teams can show up and can win any day. And I think that that's a really important thing. Um, you know, like uh, the Braves, for instance, it's in a way I caught uh, not quite half of that game, uh, the game before ours, and they got throttled. I mean, they've been a they've been a very good team all year and they got absolutely throttled. So. There you go. You know, there's there's a there's clearly an upper echelon, but I don't think the bottom is what we've expected maybe over the last few years where you're just going to walk walk over people i mean the, the game immediately following ours for and the mariners the power had that game in hand going into the seventh inning i mean they were they were way ahead it was like seven to two so and you would not expect that from the mariners and it was because the mariners weren't hitting the ball power were figuring it out and they were catching the ball so it's uh yeah, i'm i'm really it makes sundays really fun because you just don't know yeah, in the same way that any league where there is competitiveness throughout is going to be a more entertaining product. I think when my idea when I wanted to start these updates was that I was going to come on here and I'd be an authoritative voice as someone who's been in the league for five years and understanding what each team's strength is, what each team's weakness is. I was going to be giving these declarative statements of this team's no good, that team's right. really good. Here are the best teams listed one through five. Here are the best teams listed six through 10. And I think maybe there's some humility involved because we have enough evidence to say that maybe nobody really knows anything. Like maybe it's not an example. Maybe it's not the case where we go to the ballpark and we know the results of every six of all the six games that are going to be played because week to week there's wide variance. And I think that any team outside of really lopsided matchups can beat another team. And I think it's not necessarily the, uh, the better teams are not playing up to their potential. I think some of that may be true, but I also think that there's not the room to just sleepwalk through nine innings and get a lopsided victory. You're really going to have to earn it. It makes for a better experience on Sunday, certainly, but it's certainly, yeah. but it also makes it much more difficult to know what's going to happen. And then also kind of assess the evidence because it swings wildly week to week. Yeah. And I think that one of the things that certainly has stuck out to me from, from the games that I've watched is, you know, there's a lot of contact in this league. Right there, it, it's actually surprising. Uh, you know, I was I, I was surprised there was that many strikeouts yesterday because there has really been a lot of putting the ball in play. So the teams that are going to win, and it's not all hard contact, but the balls get put in play. The teams that have a a good solid core of defense, they've got 
the defense up the middle and they've got, you know, a first baseman who can pick it or whatever. You know, there's a couple of different things kind of per team. But, you know, the reason why the game was so close yesterday wasn't because we weren't putting the ball in play. They were catching the ball. I mean, that center fielder had, what, two, three diving catches? Those things make a huge difference. And I, I think that's if, – if there's one thing that I feel like I'm starting to understand about this league this year, it's that the team that's going to win is going to be the team that catches the baseball. Because you don't have the same teams showing up every day you don't have the same and you won't, you definitely won't have the same teams at the end of the year. We've seen that every year, right? There's, you know, college guys who are back into the swing of their other stuff or whatever it is who don't, who don't show up. So those, you know, do you have a quality defensive team at the end of the season is going to be the biggest question. And, you know, like you said, we only had a couple key errors. Our, our errors have mostly been mental based running errors and things like that. So I don't feel like we're out of the mix quite yet so let's talk about the other action the most surprising result as you mentioned before was the power having the biggest upset on the board in hand against the mariners but surrendering the surrendering the lead and losing eight to seven the cardinals pasted the white Sox 20 to one the padres one of these days we are going to understand what this team is interestingly enough it's the last team that we play, so we won't know until yeah. the season is almost done to have that first-hand evidence. They beat the Mariners 4-2. to two. That suggests that was a great pitcher's duel. The A's took care of the Braves 21-1. to one. I would say that the Braves are maybe not contenders. Uh, they racked up some wins, but on any given day, I think there's about five teams if they come to play and play their best game, they're going to beat the Braves. But again no cakewalk that can jump up and bite you. And I want to give a shout out to the pirates who showed a lot of signs a week ago against us. And as you said before, broke out for 17 runs to beat the Royals and get their first win, the power, the pirates and the tigers are going to play a role down the stretch when it comes to playoff seating, because I don't think that we've seen the last of these close calls or upsets. No. And the White Sox, I mean, we've seen the White Sox beat people in close games too. So, you know, they, you know, they got pasted, but so it, so it goes. I mean, they played a really, really good team. Uh, and you know, who may have also just been hot. It, it, it's uh, yeah. The parody is a real thing. I think you're absolutely right that they're going to play a role in the, in the way the seating shakes out. Um, It'll be interesting to see the Marlins next week. I don't know what's going on with that team. I really had them, you know, from the jump being a really uh, dynamic team, good bats. Um, they certainly have some pitching and just haven't been winning games. So it's interesting to see. And I'm not really sure what the reasoning behind that is. Uh, I know there's a lot of frustration in that dugout right now. So um, I, don't, I don't know. It'll be really interesting to see how that all, how that all goes. It'll be a key matchup for us as we look at the standings. Yeah. The Mariners, by virtue of beating the A's, are atop at five and one. The A's are also five and one, and the Cardinals are five and one. Those are the top three. We are tied for fourth place with the Braves at four and two. The Marlins and White Sox are three and three, along with the Padres. So those are eight teams right now that have legitimate playoff hopes 
And our matchup against the Marlins will go a long way because we're going to see if we are going to be contending for one of those two seeds or if we are going to have to claw our way into maybe a four or five spot because you look at our schedule, the next four games are not 50-50, but they are certainly games that we're capable of winning them all and we're capable of dropping a few along the way. So I would say this is the most crucial part of our season. If we take care of business and go through the first run of competition against all the other teams at nine and two, then we have a shot. If we limp in at seven and four, that's going to present a totally different scenario. So this is when we're going to find out a lot about both our team and other teams. I would say it's a must win for the Marlins on Sunday because they can't really afford to fall any further back. I think that's really true. And they have to prove, I mean, if, if we are, you know, sort of conceding ourselves to be uh, just below the top rung of teams, then they absolutely have to beat us because they have to be in that same category. And if they're getting beat by us, then that's not happening. So I, yeah, I think that's all right on. And I think every season has a different story. There's been years where we've lost one or two regular season games. Last year, we began 11 and 0. And then I think we dropped four of five and hit a real lull in the bottom middle of the season, only to respond to have the lead halfway through the winner take all championship game. So there's still time and there's still opportunity to fix some of this stuff. But I kind of agree with you. And that's the thing that I wanted to to drill down because I want to be fair and I want to be honest about what we have as a team. And right now I have real concerns. Um, It doesn't seem like the focus is there game in and game out. I don't know if the intensity is there. I did some of the only yelling I've done um, in many years, just as a motivational tactic during our game, because I kind of felt like I was out of ideas um, and kind of the soft shoe stuff hadn't worked. Um, Do you want to talk about vibes? Uh, I know that the results have been what they are, but what do you think the vibes are uh, with our team? Well, I actually had an interesting conversation after the game with a spectator uh, who is a former player who I will not name, who said, you guys look like you're depressed. Like your dugout looks depressed. You're in a one run game that you're ahead and you're depressed. And I was kind of laughing initially because I'm like, no, we're not. We're just, you know, trying to lock in still. And it's like, no, it, yeah, I don't think we're having enough fun. And I think that comes with, um, I don't know. I think there's some key bats that aren't producing the way that they're used to. And they're also leaders on the team, even if they're not particularly vocal. And so I think that's kind of a tricky spot, right? Who is the, who is the leader on this team right now? Do you have an answer to that? Cause I don't. Yeah, it's uh, it's tricky. Um, it feels like we haven't really got the continuity. Um, I would say that for me, leadership starts with the Sanchez brothers, uh, Ariel and Alex, and they haven't been at a game together in a while. I think that Cooper has been a tremendous addition. He's been fantastic on the field. He also comes to play each and every single time. Um, I view myself as a leader. Um, But again, when 
I'm not getting run support. A lot of my leadership can come off as being cranky or being pissed sure. off or being negative. Yep. So that's a tough rope to walk. I think really what's needed is maybe a collective conversation and maybe it's a wordless conversation that we have a task to do. We have a job to do. We need to focus. And the thing that I would like to see us do in addition to kind of like getting a better vibe in the dugout, as you pointed out, and that's an astute observation from the observer who is going to remain anonymous to protect their anonymity is getting in good habits. Um, that's one of the things that I think the regular season is for. And we are, we have yet to get in those positive habits of doing everything the right way. And the real concern becomes that's something that's really hard to turn on, like flicking a light switch. You kind of have to have that going for a few games before you get in the playoffs. So I think, you know, I think honestly, it starts with admitting where we are right now. And I think that it's, necessary to say hey what we're doing right now is not going to cut it and we have one goal and one objective and there's a very simple thing that we can do to help improve our chances to get where we ultimately want to go and that's using our brains and right now it just doesn't seem like we're using our brains and that's not a negative thing it's plainly obvious to everyone and i think we all understand that doing so will yield better results and put us in a much more advantageous place as these games start to mean a lot more. And I think that's a big part of it. So I, I thought a lot about that afterwards. It's like, okay, what is the, well, so we win that game, but it was not a particularly, I don't know what, I, you can't call any win a bad win. It wasn't a bad win, but it was a, an oddly disappointing win. And I think that's, I, I think, last week against the Pirates, I think it's kind of a similar thing. It's like, man, these are teams we're supposed to be absolutely slaughtering. And I think that has to do with just kind of like historical uh, perception of who we are and what the league is. And I think we kind of covered that earlier, but I think that plays into sort of the mental part of it where it's like, hey, this is a team that's, you know, been on the cusp of championships. It's why Cooper and I came over. Like, we're like, hey, we want to be a part of a team that's going to go and chase those guys down and win. And it does feel a little bit lax. And I do, I mean, one of the things that I said last night was I think it's going to turn on as we move past the midway point in the season where those standings start to feel a little more like they've shaken out. They've, they've taken some shape where there's that sense like, oh no, we really do need to start beating everyone every week um, to really get into the right position it's one of the things that happens with teams that are perennial success is look at the way the warriors you know regular seasons have gone since the three championships right and it's like they're still there in the end because they turn it on towards the end it's like oh no we need to flip that switch now um and the question is are we the kind of team that can flip the switch or not and we'll find out and a lot of times you need to feel that urgency. Um, it's not ideal, but you can't manufacture that do or die-ness. You can't manufacture having your back against the wall. You can't manufacture that feeling of, oh God, we really can't blow this one. And I do right. think that it's positive that, you know, honestly, these last two weeks, we play those games 10 times each. I mean, we lose both a few times. They were 50-50 
and we did respond and we averted disaster. And hopefully this is an inflection point in the season we can look back on and say, okay, well, we were getting our bearings and then we clicked into focus. It certainly starts against the Marlins as you previewed. I will not be here. Christian Flicky is getting the start. I wanted to kind of close and just talk about how unbelievable of a weapon he's been. Um, we're talking about two different outings where he struck out nine in three innings and then struck yeah. out eight in three innings. You throw an 11 inning outing, giving us a chance to win against the Cardinals in there. Um, he's been every single thing that I expected and I had hoped for outside of that week one blip. And I think that he's the, ultimately probably the key to our season will determine how far we go because there's not a more lights out pitcher in the league than Christian. And he's proven it in multiple weeks in a row. I don't see any reason for him to revert to that week one uh, no. performance. So after all the things that we said about concerns, I think when you go in there with a rotation of him and myself, depending on what is needed, we're probably going to be fine. It's going to take a good game plan and approach at the plate to beat us with elimination on the line. To me, the pitching will be there. We're not going to throw up any stinkers. It's just a matter of whether the bats can wake up and be consistent enough to push us through what could be three rounds of playoffs. Yeah, and I think it's going to be, you know, does everybody kind of get going at the same time? We don't have any big holes in our lineup. I mean – Look, Anthony and Anthony and I are hitting ten and eleven. You know, we're fine when it comes to the bats. The question has been, can we get four or five guys to show up on the same day? Because it really has been two or three guys per game who kind of put it together, and especially in those closer games. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Flicky, I he has become for me like one of the things I look forward to every week is just to watch him mow guys down. I mean, I'm it's, it's, there's a two strike count with two outs and I'm just standing outside the dugout waiting to go out and shake his hand after the strikeout. Cause it's happening. Like it just, I, I don't feel, I mean, it, and he abuses bad teams. I mean, that's the thing about him. If you, if you start him yesterday, I mean, the, the, the combination of velocity and change of speeds with him, with guys who aren't as proficient hitters, it's, it's, there's some embarrassing swings, you know, and that's like just a different thing. It's so interesting to me that I almost feel like you are the more effective guy when we play good hitting teams. And he's the more effective guy when we play bad hitting teams. Um, it, it's, it's a good place to be. It's a good place to be to have a guy who can just come in and absolutely abuse a lineup. Uh, it's, I almost don't want to talk too much about him because I don't want to give away why he's so good. Um, you know, there's just, there's some key things that he does with, uh, you know, the shapes that he chooses and when he chooses them, that just makes him just absolutely abusive. I, lo I love it. It's so much fun to watch. It's a combination of the physical and mental and he's got both locked in and they're doing really yeah. well and he's doing great. And the results are there. I'm happy we could end this on a positive point. Um, go out there and win next week. And I don't know what we're going to do for next week's show. Uh, I'm going to have to figure that out. I'm probably going to have to outsource it, but as long as we win, I will gladly cede the reins over to someone who knows what the hell they're talking about. Jeremy Stokes, 
Thanks a lot. Congrats on the big hit. You've earned your pinstripes. There you go. Appreciate you, Mr. Coster. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.